Have you ever felt stuck? Most of us have sometime in life, right? I mean, we've got a project, a repair, something we've got to do, and we get to some point and we're just not sure what the next step is. There are all kinds of options available to us. Some have advantages, others have different advantages. There are disadvantages going on, and we're afraid to eliminate any of those possibilities, and we just feel a little paralyzed in all our thoughts and analysis, so we don't know what to do. Now, that can certainly happen in our spiritual lives as well. Because there are times we get to a place and we're just not sure, okay, what is God's will? What am I called to do? What does the Bible say? What, what's best for my family? What's best for me? And all those things are competing and we are just not sure what the next step is. And that's really why I wanted to, to walk through this series together is because we're thinking about those initial steps of faith that can get us on the right journey with God. So the first week of this series, we talked about faith. Faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And we've got to deal with what, what's the identity of Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because that gets us on our spiritual journey. And until we grapple with that question and come to a point that we have come to belief and we're going to trust Jesus with everything that matters, it's really hard to take the next step. So faith really is the first step before we can do anything else. But after that, we walk at various speeds and sometimes we go between back and forth between those steps and we go at different rates. All those things make our journeys different from one another. But the second week we talked about repentance because when we come in contact with this all-powerful God, this God who loves us, created us, offered Jesus to deal with our sin problem, we see a God who is holy and just and, and we're faced with our own sin. And suddenly we recognize something's got to change, right? I mean, we can't keep walking down this path because the path we're on leads to destruction. And it leads to continually offending God and others. And so we say, I feel bad enough about the way that I am that I want to change. I want to be on a different path. And so repentance is all about turning and pursuing God with everything that we have. And then last week, we talked about a step that I think it's easy for us to ignore, easy for us to just forget about, and that's confessing what we believe about Jesus. We call that confession, and it's saying in front of other people, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in that statement, we identify ourselves with Jesus, and we identify ourselves with other believers. So all three of those are really important. And today, I want us to come to the fourth of these steps, and it's going to bring this series to a close, and it's all about baptism. Now, one of the things about baptism is that it should be something that brings Christians together. It's a common experience. It's an important step. And it should be something that unites us. In fact, when Paul lists some things in one of his letters that, that should bring Christians together, one of the things he says is that we have one baptism. It, it should make us one. And yet, if we look back on 2,000 years of Christian history, what we find is that too often, baptism has been one of the things that has divided Christians from one another. Because there are a lot of questions that surround baptism, and we have all kinds of answers. And so we might ask the question, who should be baptized? And we've debated that. And how should you be baptized? And who can do the baptizing? What does baptism even mean? How important is it? All of those questions have a range of answers, and unfortunately, Christians have 
used their answers to divide themselves from other Christians. So if you don't believe what I believe about baptism, it's so important that we really can't worship or get along or serve together. So we're going to part ways. Well, when we come to something like that, I think it's important for us to say, okay, let's take a step back. And since we have so many disagreements, so many opinions on this, let's actually look at what the Bible has to say about baptism and see if we can come to some kind of consensus by allowing God's Word to speak to how we understand this. So today I'd like to do a little bit of that. Now, the truth is there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about baptism. And there's really no way for us to examine them all in one sermon. There's no way to fully exhaust the meaning of baptism in one sermon. But I want to touch on a few key points that I think can help us understand baptism, know how to do it, and then hopefully we can see some things that Christians should work together on when it comes to baptism. So today... As we have in this whole series, I want us to turn to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 6. Now, we covered a, a later portion of chapter 6 in one of the sermons we've already been through. Today, we'll be right at the beginning of the chapter. So in a minute, we'll get to Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in Romans 6, Paul has been talking about grace and forgiveness. And he's talked about just how powerful and complete the grace of God is. So whatever we've done... Okay, whatever it is, it can be forgiven. If we go to God and seek Him out and repent, God is willing to forgive because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, apparently some early Christians began to, to think about that and then to say, well, you know what? If God, if God loves forgiving people that much, if God's favorite thing to do is to forgive us of our sins, then maybe we should just give Him more to forgive. Maybe we should just do whatever we want to do and don't worry about what's right or wrong, whatever makes me feel good. And if it's sin, too bad, because since God likes forgiving so well, this will just give Him more of what He likes to do. Forgive me. Now, you can imagine that when Paul encountered that thinking, he was not in agreement, okay? And that is definitely the case. So when we pick up Romans chapter 6, verse 1, that's what he's talking about. This is what he says. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So we just keep on sinning so God will have more to forgive. Verse 2, by no means. Some of the translations say it very well. Absolutely not. Paul has as strong a negative statement as he can put right there at the beginning of verse 2. Clearly, no. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And right there, Paul begins to lay out an argument about sin. He says, listen, as a part of following Jesus, there's a... There's a time in that process when, when there's something about the person you've been. The person who has said, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do the things that make me feel good. I don't really care if they're right or wrong. I don't always even care how they affect other people. I don't always care how they affect my future. In fact, I realize they might lead to destruction, but I like doing it, so I'm going to keep on. There's, there's something about that part of us that dies 
when we choose to follow Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you need a little more explanation, and Paul's just beginning to lay that out. And we might also ask, when does that happen? When does it happen that something within us that loves sin dies? Well, he lays that out beginning in verse 3. Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul says, okay, th think about Jesus. He, he went to the cross. He went there voluntarily, right? He chose that path. And when he went there, he died. And, and they were so sure that Jesus was dead and not just had fainted that they put him in the grave. He was dead. And when you're baptized, you're baptized into Jesus, and it is as if you are participating in the death and burial of Jesus. Just like Jesus went down into the grave, we go down into the water. And it's, it's as if in that act, there is something about us, this side that loves sin, that dies and is buried. Okay? So this is a moment that changes things. But, but if baptism were really just all about a death, then this wouldn't be really good news, would it? But Paul is clear that it's not just about death. There's more to it than that. And we get that in verse 4. Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that. So here's the purpose. Here's why we would be buried in, into death with Christ. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live new life. You see that in baptism, right? Because we, we are buried, but then we are raised up. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too come up and there is new life. And so it's as if we are participating in the death, burial, and resurrection. Every time someone is baptized, it is a reenactment of what Jesus did. It's a participation in that death where something of us dies, but that's not the end. We are raised up to a new life, a better life, the life that God has called us to. Verse 5 continues the thought, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And I think in some ways for Paul that's two-pronged. Because he's saying when we are raised up from baptism, new life begins, but it also points forward. It points forward to the result of all this that we raised to new life after death. So in all of this, we are participating with Jesus in what he voluntarily did for us. And you see, we make the choice. We voluntarily choose to participate in baptism. And in that, something within us dies but something is brought to life. Paul restates that whole argument in verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says this life before all that you lived before, where sin just seemed to be a part of every day, where you didn't care what you did, Really and truly, you were enslaved to that sin. That sin had taken you over. It was telling you what to do. But just like when a slave dies, that slave is no longer owned 
you are no longer owned. You're no longer driven by sin. You have been given a new life to live, a new way to live. So baptism is all about death, burial, and resurrection to something new. So we think about all that. At the core of baptism, and there's a whole lot more to learn, and we'll talk about a couple more things before we're done. But a great place to start in understanding what baptism is all about is to say that baptism is the beginning of new life. Baptism is the beginning of something new because we are raised from the dead. Something within us has died, something that we don't like, something that we don't want, something that we want to leave behind, and we are given something new. We are brought to new life. That's what Paul's saying. Now, as we think about baptism, let's, let's think about a couple of the issues that divide us so we can sort of establish what does Scripture say. We think about the, the way that we're baptized. Sometimes people talk about the mode of baptism because churches vary in this, right? Some churches pour water over people. Some churches sprinkle water over people. We immerse people. And we might say, well, why do you go to all that trouble? Like, that's a lot of water in that tub up there, okay? It is. And keeping it clean, and then you got people soaking wet when they come out, and towels and all this stuff. Why do you do all that when you could, man, it'd be so much easier to do it a different way? Well, the reason is the, the language of the New Testament. You know, we have our word baptism, and it is rooted in the Greek word baptizo. And you can see that, right? We, just, we have taken the Greek letters and we made an English word out of them, baptize. But every time the word baptizo is used in the ancient world, whether it's in the Bible or it's somewhere else, because we've got a lot of Greek literature that's out there, what it means, and it wasn't always to do with some religious ceremony, it just means to immerse, to dip, to dunk something, okay? So it could be that we're talking about baptism of a human being, put him down in water, raise him up, or it could be that you're putting a plate in a, a pan of water to wash it. That's still, I mean, if you do that, you're immersing it, you're baptizoing it in the ancient world. So the word always means to immerse. So every time in the New Testament you see that word to baptize or baptism, you could make a good translation if you just said to immerse, all right? Immersion. That's what it is. So if the early church practiced actually putting people down in water and then raising them up, well, it seems like that's the best way for us, too, trying to follow the example that we have in the New Testament and follow the teaching that we have in the New Testament. We might also say, well, who should be baptized? Well, again, if we look at the examples that we have throughout the book of Acts and the way it's talked about in other places, baptism is always the person who is baptized is someone who could make that decision for themselves. Right? This is a person who has come to faith, recognizes what sin is, can repent of their sins, and then can confess their faith in Jesus. So we baptize people who are old enough to make that decision on their own instead of baptizing babies who are not ready to make that decision on their own. So we do all that, not just because we like that better, but because we're trying to go back to what the Bible says and the example that the Bible gives us and follow that as closely as possible. So with all that sort of in our minds, I think there's some basic truths that we need to take with us. If we think about the beginning of baptism is that, hey, baptism is the beginning of new life. 
What are some pieces that we need to keep in mind to put that into practice? First of all, this. Baptism is not magical, okay? It's not a good luck charm. Like, it's not something we do just to make ourselves feel better. The the water up there is not magical. It's just H2O. It's not blessed. It's not made sacred. There's no special thing that we do to it. It's just water. And hopefully when we do a baptism, it's warm water. Okay, that's all that we like about it. You could do it in a stream, in a lake, in a pond, in a swimming pool. I've done baptisms in the ocean when we lived in Florida. It just needs to be water. And there's nothing magical about that water. In fact, there is no power in the water of baptism. We don't believe that the water has any power at all, but we do believe that God has power. And so this is never about the power of the water in which someone is baptized. It is always about the power of God at work in them and in us. So we do believe in the power of God. We don't believe in the power of water. But we believe God has taken this and used this as a way of marking His activity in our lives and marking this death, burial, and resurrection both of Jesus and of us. So no, the the water is not something special. And the water is not what changes us. The God we serve, the one who sent His Son to die on a cross, That's what changes things. So, baptism is not magical. Second, baptism is infused with meaning. And by that, I mean, hey, it is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's about reenacting that. It's about our own sort of death, burial, and resurrection, the old self dying. We have a new self that is raised to new life. But what we find is that if we look in Scripture, baptism has all kinds of meaning. And what I try to tell people when they come to baptism is, listen, you know, you know something about baptism today. But the truth is, you're going to spend the rest of your life and you're going to learn a lot more about baptism. And just because you learn something new does not mean you've got to be baptized again. Okay? We're always going to be learning. And so it might be that you know a lot today, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when your son, daughter, or grandchild is baptized, when a niece or nephew or a friend or maybe a parent, who knows, when they are baptized, you might see deeper meaning than today when you're baptized. And that's okay. In fact, that's appropriate because we're always learning more. It is infused with meaning. It means death, burial, and resurrection. But we could just as easily look at passages today that point to the meaning of baptism as a washing. Right? It washes away sin. That's why it's associated with forgiveness. In fact, if we look back in the ancient world, the Jews used baptism. Not every Jew was baptized, but if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, the very last part of the process from going from Gentile to Jew is baptism. And for them, here's what it represented. A Gentile would have spent their lives worshiping the pagan gods. And I mean, if you study that, it's some crazy stuff. All right. It's some weird stuff, some weird ways that they worshiped their gods. And some of them were brutal and some of them were awful. All right. And that baptism represented a washing off of all of that corruption that was a part of the pagan world and then entering a new life of worshiping the God of the Old Testament, the God that we worship, Yahweh. 
Okay? So for them, it was a washing. And that meaning carries over into the New Testament as Christians use baptism. So we can find all kinds of meanings about baptism if we continue to study Scripture, and we should. That's a good thing. And then finally, baptism signifies change. Okay, again, not magical, but, but if, we think about, well, if we think about human history, right? If we study history, there's going to be a lot of dates given. And those dates are going to be given in terms of, well, one bright line that runs all the way through history. And that is, whatever happens back here is B.C. and whatever happens up here is A.D., right? Clearly, you, you're going to know your date. 4 B.C., 2000 A.D., you've got to mark that to tell the difference between the two. And for us... Really, there's going to be this everything before baptism and everything after because there should be change associated with baptism. Because in that moment, we are giving something up. We are allowing something of ourselves to die. We take that on voluntarily. We choose it. And we are replacing that with the Spirit of God with something new. Baptism is the beginning of new life. Now, today we bring the series to a close. And I've said this a little bit throughout the series, but let me remind you that if, if you're exploring this a little bit today, I mean, you're in the process of figuring it out. That's okay, okay? That, that's a good thing. We all go through that. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I think, I'm, I think I'm about there. I think I'm ready, but I'd like to talk to somebody. Let me encourage you. I'll be in the foyer after the service. But if you don't want to talk to me today with a bunch of people around, that's okay. I'd be glad to talk with you on the phone. Send me an email. We can set up a time. Whatever is comfortable for you. Baptisms can take place in a service. Baptisms can take place after a service, during the week. Whatever works. But I would love to talk with you about that. Uh, our staff members would love to talk with you about that. Our elders would love to talk with you about that. If you know one of us a lot better than the others, come and, and just have a conversation. Because we really do rejoice when people come to the point that they're ready to talk about that. And certainly when they're ready to walk through that and follow Jesus in baptism. So if you're ready, talk to me. Let's pray together. And we're thankful for Jesus because without Jesus, none of this means anything. And we're thankful that you sent him to show us what you want us to be like and to help us deal with our sin problem. And God, we're thankful that you choose, us, choose to forgive us and that we don't want to take advantage of that, but we do ask for the forgiveness that we need in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.